there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We are ending a series entitled Full of Fruit. Uh, and for the last several weeks, we've been doing a study on a passage that is known as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so to kind of illustrate this uh, for, for a second, uh, I want you to imagine, if you would, that this is a cup of you know, hot coffee. Uh, why would you put anything else in, in a cup but coffee, right? Uh, so this is a, if, if this is a cup of coffee, uh, and I'm walking around, let's say, after, after the service, uh, and I, I'm kind of walking around, sipping my coffee, kind of talking to you, and the lobby gets crowded, and someone bumps me on my elbow or my arm, uh, and I, and I kind of stumble. What's going to spill out of this cup is going to be what? Coffee. It's not going to be tea. It's not going to be the sweet nectar of God, Mountain Dew. Um, it's going to be coffee because coffee is what fills the cup. And so we're in this series called Full of Fruit because we want to encourage you to be full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so when we're full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit and we get into these relationships where we butt heads with people and we bump up against somebody or a trial comes our way and bumps us or a circumstance changes, what should spill out of us is this fruit of the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> when life happens, fruit pours out of us. And so with that in mind, uh, what we're going to do today is, I don't have... I don't have a lot of, I don't have any media presentation today. So we're going to lock on Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. Uh, we haven't deviated much from this text during the duration of this series. Uh, so I'm going to be reading some other scriptures, uh, but you can look them up like the old-fashioned way, or you can take my word for it. But I really just want you to kind of focus on uh, the fruit of the Spirit passage that we've been in for several weeks. Uh, so it starts out this way. But the fruit of the Spirit is, and, and so let, let me just do a review, and I'm doing a review on purpose because I really want you to grasp this concept. I want you to notice this is not the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's not like an apple, a pear, an orange, or you know, a grape, a tomato. Um, it is the fruit, the single fruit of the Holy Spirit that has different attributes. And so the illustration we've been using is an apple. I have an apple in my hand. The apple is the fruit, but there's a lot of attributes that go with an apple. It can be crunchy, it can be crispy, it can be sweet, it can be tart, right? And so they're all describing the attributes of the fruit. And so these nine things that we are talking about are attributes of one single fruit. And the reason that we keep pounding this and hitting this every week is because I know how the American Evangelical Church operates. We love lists and rules, right? Some of you are here this morning because you're just completing your task list for God. Well, I've got to go to church. Let me check that off the list. Uh, you know, but we want depth and meaning behind it. And so the danger is to see this list of the Holy Spirit, or the fruit of the Holy Spirit, 
and kind of say, well, I'm pretty good at that one. I might need to work on that one. And we just kind of pick and choose. The problem is that's not real. We either have all of the fruit of the Holy Spirit or we have none of it. And so the point that we've been trying to make is that this fruit can be counterfeited, right? You, you can look at that list and say, well, I'm supposed to be kind. I don't, I don't really have a regenerate heart, and I don't really want to be kind, but I can fake it. I can white-knuckle my, white my way through it, and, and, and I can be kind uh, to people. Well, what that is, is it's a piece of plastic fruit. It looks like the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and from far away, you might not be able to tell, but when you get close enough, you, you know it's fake. This apple was bought at Hobby Lobby. They don't make food. They don't sell food at Hobby Lobby. This apple was made in a factory by a machine. This apple is real. It was made in a grocery store. The, the, the machine that made this apple, what did I say? It was not made in a grocery store. It was sold in a grocery store. Sorry. Um, now you throw me off. <laughs> The machine that made this apple cannot make this apple because this, this apple has to be brought forth from life, from a tree, okay? And so we have the Holy Spirit who brings forth life. And so what we've been hitting on, and, and let me just remind you again, is that you are all, all of us are born in flesh. We all have bodies, physical bodies. So we're born with bodies, but we're also all of us, every one of us in here are born with damaged souls, David said, I was brought, my soul was brought forth in iniquity. Uh, we have a bet, we have, our souls are damaged when we're born. And when we're born, we are born with a dead spirit, okay? So we've got a body, a damaged soul, and a dead spirit. When we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit floods into us, fills us with the fruit, but he also brings to life that dead spirit that's in us. When that spirit is brought to life, it begins to repair the damaged soul, and then that damaged soul begins to redirect the flesh. The redirection happens because we have his fruit. It's given to us to equip us and to give it away. And so the illustration we've been using is my grandfather sold apples. I would go with him. He would sell to the moms. I had this bushel of Golden Delicious, and he said, give to any kid that you want, as much as you want. And so I was like, Oprah, you get an apple. You get an apple. Everyone gets an apple, right? But it was his fruit. He grew it. He was responsible for it. He gave it to me. Some of it I ate. Some of it I gave back to him. And the rest I gave away. And this is what we're supposed to do with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the, it, it in its entirety. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So here's what we said last week. And here's what we're going to uh, navigate to today. All of these attributes that you see listed of, uh, as the fruit of the Holy Spirit are attributes that we would use to navigate through all of relationship structures that we have. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that matters on this earth are relationships. Nobody's going to put your portfolio numbers on your tombstone. Uh, you're not going to be buried in your hot rod. Like all that stuff, none of that matters. The only thing that matters are our relationships. 
our relationship to God, our relationship to each other, and our relationship to ourselves. Those are the most important things in our lives. And so last week we talked about the three relationship structures, upward, outward, and inward. Upward's our relationship with God, outward, our relationship to our fellow brothers and sisters, mankind, and this inward relationship that we have with ourselves. And so last week, we looked at the, the three qualities of love, joy, and peace. Um, that is our upward relationship. And, and here's what we said. A child who knows they are unconditionally loved by their parents, that, that knows even if they mess up, their parents love them, they flourish. Um, they are able to adjust. They are able to live happier lives because they know that they're unconditionally loved. And because they know they're unconditionally loved, they have this steady stream of joy because they know they're accepted. And if you take love and you add joy, it equals peace. And so what we said yesterday is the Holy Spirit is working on this upward relationship. The word love in the text is agape. It's this unconditional love. And when you know that you're loved unconditionally by God who created everything and that you walk in his joy, it begins to permeate in you a peace that transcends all understanding. And so those are the upward attributes. Today we're going to look at the final six. Three, I believe, are outward, dealing with other people. And then three, I believe, are inward, these attributes we use to deal with the most complicated relationship we all have, the relationship with the man in the mirror or the woman in the mirror. So <clears throat> let's, let's look at the uh, outward first. So after love, joy, and peace, the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write these three words, patience, kindness, goodness. These three attributes help us in our outward relationships and how we act and how we react to people that we come in contact with during our everyday lives. So just think about these three qualities for a second. All right, th th think about patience, being patient, kindness, being kind, and good, just being good to people. Patience, kindness, and goodness. Now, think about the household that you live in for just a second. How much different would your household look if everyone who lived under that roof were patient, kind, and good? I mean, we'd be living on easy street, some of us, right? How, how much different, dads, would your household look if you were more patient with your children? How, how much different would your household look if your children were kind to each other, kind to, to their own siblings? How much different would every household in here look if everyone who lived under your roof were in it for the good of everybody that was living together? It would be a totally different dynamic of, of, of what a family could be. How much more smoother would the rhythm of family go if we were patient, kind, and good? So one of the things that happened when I found out, we found out that Lindy was pregnant uh, with Reagan, our first child, was I made a vow to myself that I am not, I was never going to be uh, the, I will turn this car around dad. I wasn't going to have one of those moments. Like, and some of you've lived those moments. You've, you've been on the giving end and the receiving end of those moments. 
But I, I said, you know, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to, like, get in a huff and say, I'll turn this car around. Uh, and, and everything went well when we had one. <laughs> then we had two. And then a third came along. And then a fourth. And then a fifth. And so with more people, there's more conflict, right? You know that. Okay. So I was never going to be, I'm going to be a patient dad. I'm never going to be a turn this car around dad. Well, several years ago, we went on a vacation, and before the vacation started, uh, I mean, this event will live in Barton history for, forever. Um, we, were, we were cruising down the road and, you know, uh, already a little stressed out because, you know, you're trying to pack for yourself, and that's when we needed diapers and playpens, you know, and we had some younger kids. And, and so, I mean, we looked like the clampets going down the road, like, because there was just stuff everywhere. But we were on the road, and we got in a small traffic jam. That, that gave me a little more stress. But we finally were on the way. I think we were going to the beach. And uh, everything was going well. And then, guess what happened? The siblings started to be unkind to each other. They weren't showing kindness. Now, I wanted to say, hey, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. And you're, but, you know, they, so they weren't showing kindness. So the net result is their lack of kindness wore my patience thin. They weren't kind, so I became very impatient. And in a fit of just total redness, which is not in my character, um, I whipped over off of the interstate in, into, you know, onto the shoulder of the road, slammed on the brake, put the car in park, and it wasn't even done moving, so it was like, you know, like that. And I turned around, and the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I will turn this car around. And I began to just spew. I don't even know what it was. Just you do this and you do that. And I will, we will call the hotel. We will get our money back. We will go back to the house and you will clean your room for the entire week. That's all you'll do. And, and I got so, so mad that I got out of the car and slammed the door. And just started walking circles around the car. Because I was on the interstate. I couldn't go anywhere. So I'm walking circles and trying to cool off. And I see people kind of driving by like, what is that guy doing? Um, so finally, I'm calm, I'm cool, I'm collective. And I open the car door to get back in. Everybody's crying. Everybody except my wife. She's just staring. Right? And it, we ended up making it to the beach. But in that moment, absolutely nothing good came out of it. They weren't kind, I wasn't patient, and there was no goodness. All those outward relationships were affected. Think about your work, where you work. How much easier would work be if you were more patient with your boss? Even if he or she didn't deserve it, but if you were. Or how much more patient, or how much more easy would work be if you were good to your employee or patient with your employees? What if everyone in your cubicle or your department or, or wherever you work uh, were kind to each other? What if everybody in the work environment just looked out for the good of each other? Work would be a much better place to be. How about social media? How much different would it be if people were patient on Facebook? Right? In spite of how you voted or didn't vote. If we were just more patient with each other. How much better would Facebook be if we didn't have trolls? If we didn't have people who purposely have no life, they sit in their mother's basement, they find people's things, and they just write negative things to try to stir up trouble, and they're unkind. How much better would it be 
if it was everybody looking out for everybody's good. You see, these are outward qualities, patience, kindness, goodness. These are qualities that we're told that as Christians we should possess. Philippians chapter 2 verse 4 says, Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Or the golden rule, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 12, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. How much different would this world look if we were just patient, kind, and good? How much different would the evangelical church look if everyone who claimed to be a follower of Jesus would just be patient, kind, and good. Let me tell you why I love being the, the preacher here at Elevate Christian Church. I've been here for over 20 years, I think. I'm a dinosaur. Um, the, there are just so many good people here, right? Um, just so many good people. And, and I, I love this church because I, I just love the, the, the people. I see the fruit of the Holy Spirit being manifest through many of you. This goodness, this kindness, this, this patience, this faithfulness. All right, so we have a member of our church. He's a newer member. He received an inheritance from his grandfather. Um, the inheritance was a very large sum of money that, that he wasn't expecting. I'm going to tell you kind of the heart this guy has. He has a neighbor who fosters children, um, and, and this lady who fosters them, she fosters them uh, the right way. It's not, she wants a check, if you understand what I'm saying. It's a, she has a genuine concern. And so she's just pouring her heart, and, you know, she's struggling. Uh, and so he gets this inheritance, and he just walks over and knocks on her door and says, hey, I love what you're doing. Here's a check for $10,000. That's just goodness and kindness, man. We have ladies that are in our Twilighter group. That's our 55-year and older group who just took it upon themselves. We didn't have, you know, some church initiative some uh, soul-winning outreach campaign. They just said, we want to make a difference. And so they started going to, this is pre-COVID, to the nursing home in Paulding County. And they didn't just want to visit anybody. They wanted to visit the ladies in there who didn't get any visitors. And they showered those ladies with gifts and kindness and their time. We have another lady in here who writes, handwrites. That's like ancient technology. Hand writes notes of encouragement in cars, and I guarantee you dozens, if not hundreds of people in this church has received a card from her. Just this sweet, kind lady. So I, I love that. And I think as a church, we do a very good job with patience, kindness, and goodness. So I want to move on because I want to take the time needed to address the most complicated complicated relationship that everybody in here has. Your most complicated relationship is not with God. It's pretty easy. Jesus loves you. He died for you. Your relationship with your spouse or your kids or your boss, it could be complicated, but it's not the most complicated relationship you have. The most complicated relationship that we all have is this inward, internal relationship. How we deal with with ourselves. So in our text, he talks about love, joy, and peace. 
That's our relationship with God. Then patience, kindness, and goodness. That's our outward relationship with each other. And then he moves on to what I think are inward qualities. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So I want to talk about these inward fruit uh, qualities for a second. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is, is I think we know what it, what it means. So let me ask you a question. And I want you to answer yourself as honest as you can. How faithful are you in your walk with God? How, how faithful am I in my walk with God? Um, you, how is your faith relationship with Jesus? Because you see, at the end of the day, faith is an outward expression, but, it, it, but it's also inward because faith is personal. It belongs to you. Like, you cannot live vicariously through me. My faith won't get you to heaven. Your granddaddy's faith won't get you to heaven. Your spouse's faith won't get you to heaven. It is a personal inward faith, okay? So the object of our faith is outward. It's Jesus Christ, but it's inward uh, that that faith happens, okay? So I want you to think about, think, of, think about it this way. When you fail in your walk with God, Whatever, whatever failure looks like to you, whatever that sin is that you struggle with, when you have that shortcoming, when you have that failure, when you violate your faithfulness to the Lord, you know what happens 100% of the time next? You begin to tear yourself down. Well, here I go again. I am so weak. I am such a bonehead. I am so shameful. I cannot believe I've done this again. I've prayed about it. I've tried, and here I am again. And so what we begin to do is we begin to tear ourselves apart from the inside out. Because faithfulness is this inward expression to an upward God. Okay, so let's put a pin in that for a minute. We're going to come back to faithfulness. I'm going to tie all three of these together. But let's move on to gentleness for a second. You know, we're taught at a very young age to be gentle with other people. And if you're a good parent, you're going to teach your child to be gentle with other people, right? So we would say things like, now, we don't use those words because those words are harsh. You know, be gentle in how you speak to people. Why you might see a parent say, now, Johnny, listen, we don't hit. No, that's not the way, because you want them to be gentle with other people. We want them to be gentle with their attitudes. Those are good things. Those are great things. But let me ask you a question. How gentle are you with yourself? When you mess up, when you make a mistake, when you have a reoccurring sin struggle, When you feel inadequate, when you feel like you fail over and over again, what thoughts go through your head? What do you say to yourself? Are those words harsh? Are those words gentle? You see, if my son messes up or any of my children mess up, I love them. And it's easy for me to say, listen, I wish you hadn't done that, but you're loved unconditionally. I forgive you. Let's move on. And it's easy for me to be gentle with them. But when I mess up, it's not so easy to be gentle with myself. Are you tracking with that? You, you, you understand what we're saying here? Are the, the words that come to your mind, are they harsh or, they, or are they gentle? 
I'm going to guess they're pretty harsh because according to the National Science Foundation, on average, a person has 60,000 thoughts a day. 60,000, just a little fleeing thoughts a day. Of those, over 80% are negative. You're not doing this right. You're not good enough. You're a bonehead. These are things that we're saying to ourselves. So we are, we are bombarding ourselves with 60,000 thoughts a day, all right, and 80% of them are negative. Okay, and this is why you hear we, us say this all the time around here. There is nobody in this building that is going to tear you down more than you tear down yourself. There's nobody in your office. There's nobody in your school. There's nobody in your family that's going to be harder on you than you. It's funny because we're taught to be kind and compassionate and loving to those around us. But you don't hear much about being kind and compassionate and loving to ourselves particularly when we fall. So in a very real sense, most of us can be gentle with other people, but not with ourselves. This is a prison of our own making. So I want to speak personally to this because this is my number one struggle. If, you, if those who know me well, they know. Self-criticism is just, that is the number one issue in my life. I often find myself locked up in a prison of my own self-criticism and self-doubt. I am far from gentle when it comes to me. Let me give you, an ex let me give you a, a minor example, and then I want to give you a major example. Here's the minor example. So I was supposed to get up yesterday morning at 4.45 and carry my three boys uh, out to Nowheresville, and we were going to hunt. Uh, we do that quite often. We like to be outdoors. Well, earlier in the week, um, I, I had this throbbing pain in my, uh, I'm not going to show you because it's my middle finger and I don't want to flip everyone off, but it, it's, you know, I had this, in this finger, this pain and throbbing and it got all infected uh, and I it actually ended up going to the ER and I, <laughs> for a hangnail. It was a hangnail, but it got infected, um, but I didn't know that. So anyway, they put me on these antibiotics. Well, those antibiotics, I think, were making me sick. So the boys are all excited. We're going to hunt Saturday and I'm, I'm laying in bed, and I'm like, oh, man, my stomach. And I start getting this, like, weird in, indigestion, brrr, gr gr grumbly gut type thing. And, and so the net result is it kept me up. One o'clock came, two o'clock came, three o'clock came. And I'm like, I've got to get up in an hour and 45 minutes. And so I finally drifted off to sleep. Then the alarm went off. It felt like two seconds later. I was like, oh, it's 4.45. I feel so terrible. I don't think I can go. I'm just not, not going to wake the boys up. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to hunt. I just, you know, you get any sleep. I don't feel good. So you would have thought, well, you'll go right back to sleep, get some rest, and you'll feel better. No, I laid there for two hours. Two hours. Laid there, just talking to myself, saying things like, what kind of father are you? Those boys were so, so excited. They were, you, you were going to take them hunting tomorrow, and, and, and now you're going to disappoint them. They're going to be disappointed. They're probably going to grow up and smoke meth because, because you didn't take them hunting. This is all your fault. You're a terrible, terrible father. Listen, I take them hunting all the time. 
We do stuff together all the time. I feel like I have a good relationship with them. But in that moment, that self-doubt and self-criticism came in. That's a small scale. We all deal with that. Let me tell you what's happened to me on a much bigger scale. And if you're visiting here, um, you may not be used to this. I, when I struggle, I just talk about it because I'm, I'm a preacher, but I'm human. I'm a, I am just as sinful, probably more than some of you in here. So, so on a much bigger scale, man, I'm going through a weird season. Uh, I call it my season of dryness. Now, listen, don't let this scare you when I say this. But for the past six months, I'm not hearing from God. Not hearing. And so I'm having to, everything that I write is either uh, old stuff that I've just rewritten or I'm just trying to come up, come up with, uh, off the top of my head. Now, l l l let me tell you this about me. That's never been a problem with me. Uh, you know, creativity and, and, and coming up with content and writing sermons ha have always been a strength of mine. But I'm in this season, man, and it's brutal where I'm not hearing from God and like this weekend was rough. I'm like, you got to get up at nine o'clock and you got to say something. And then it, you got to say it again at 1030 and to make it worse, it's on the Internet, so it's never going to leave. So you better say something. So I'm struggling with this. Now, I know why I'm struggling with it. I know exactly why. Because I'm worn out. Uh, Lindy and I, you know, I, I loved hearing the stories about how, like, when you were in COVID and y'all were, like, contained and you got to spend more family time and work in your pajamas. It didn't work that way for us. It was the exact opposite. It was just almost two solid years of just nonstop and, and the people and the conversations. Everyone's mad and depressed. And, and so we just, just worn out. I was violating my own Sabbath, like days that I was supposed to be off. I would answer emails and take phone calls, right? And so it was just worn out. But that's not what I told myself. Here's what I told myself. God's not speaking to you because you're such a hypocrite. Yeah. True. I even told myself, you know what, your time in ministry is over. Like, you should just get a job canning peaches in a factory downtown. Uh, because you don't have anything of value to say anymore, right? You're not hearing from God because you're this horrible, horrible person. Now, none of this was coming from God, right? It was all coming from me. It was all me being very harsh and very critical and not being gentle with myself. Now, Jesus said in Mark 12, 31, to love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the crazy thing. When I come through a season of life that I've found myself in, as hard as I try to be, I am not capable of being the best pastor I can be to you because I'm having this inter- turmoil going on with me and so if you can't love yourself first you're not going to be able to love your neighbor the way you're supposed to be and so I've been praying about it asking the Holy Spirit fasting you know all the things we're supposed to do I'm going to come back to gentleness in just a second let's look at the last aspect and we'll tie these three together self-control 
I think most of us know what self-control means, having a little self-awareness, you know, be, being in control of self. We're, we're told repeatedly in Scripture to be self-controlled, to have a little discipline, to use good judgment, to use moderation. We know what that means, but it's hard to do, right? I know I shouldn't, but... Now remember, Galatians 5, this whole passage that, that we're in, in the greater context... Paul is talking about the difference between uh, living in the works of the world and living in step with the Holy Spirit, right? So that you've, you've got that, that, that going on uh, in the text itself. <clears throat> and even when you have the Holy Spirit, and even when you go to church, and even when you love your wife like Christ loved the church, and even when you're a good father, and even when you're a good man, you still have troubles, don't you? Or a good woman, you still struggle. You still lose self-control. There's a story that the uh, Native American uh, Cherokees used to tell um, their, their young boys. There's a story about this young Indian boy who went up to the mountain for a rite of passage, and he had to camp out by himself all night long. And he got up in the morning, and... Uh, he was going to hike back down the mountain, and as he was preparing to leave, a, a, a rattlesnake slithered by him. And he kind of stepped away, um, but then the rattlesnake was able to talk. And the rattlesnake proceeded to tell the boy, hey, I need your help. Um, it's cold up here, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm about to freeze. I, I don't have the energy to make it down the mountain. I'm going to freeze to death before I do that. I need you to pick me up. You know, put me up against your skin, warm me up, and then carry me down the mountain and let me go. Well, he said, are you crazy? You're a rattlesnake. I'm not going to pick you up. If I pick you up, you'll bite me, and your venom will kill me, and I'll die. And he said, no, no, I promise I won't do that. Please. And after much convincing, he picked up the rattlesnake, put it against his skin, began to warm it up, brought him down to the mountain, set the rattlesnake down, and then turned to go back to his village. And when he turned, the rattlesnake coil struck out and bit him, injecting deadly venom into the boy, boy's bloodstream. Of course, the little boy looked at the snake and said, but you promised. And the snake simply said this, you knew what I was when you picked me up. Self-control, or lack thereof, is when we pick things up, we know what they are, we know what they do. We know the collateral damage that goes with them. But sensuality, the flesh kicks in, and we pick them up anyway. Okay? That's lack of self-control. We lose control and pick things up all the time. So let me just remind you of something. No matter who you are, what your religious background is, if you're a Christian... I want to remind you of the fact of this. You are still going to sin. You are going to fall short over and over again. You're going to mess up. You're going to lose control over, your, over the flesh from time to time. You're going to pick things up that you know that you shouldn't pick up. That's going to happen. But I think the key is for us and for our inner peace is when, when we mess up, when we do things, when we fail, when we fall short, 
Are we gentle with ourselves? And I'm not saying this is a license to sin. You just go do, do whatever you want. But does it put us in this arena of this just defeatedness? I'm just so defeated. I might as well just give up. So think about those qualities for a minute. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You lose self-control. You sin. You didn't practice self-control. You were not faithful in your walk with God. So your lack of control caused you to violate your faithfulness. The key is when that happens is to be gentle with yourself. I mean, we can forgive other people, but why can't we forgive ourselves? God forgives you and lets it go. He says, as far as the east is from the west, I've removed your sins from you. They are no more. But why can't we let them go? So many people struggle with this. They lose self-control. They violate their faithfulness to God, which is going to happen. But then they spend the rest of their lives beating themselves up. Or they give up their walk with God because they feel unloved and unworthy. Or they just get stuck living a defeated life. I've coached basketball for a lot of my life. And when I lived in Virginia, uh, my home state, I used to coach a middle school boys basketball team. And the team was horrible. Uh, but we had one player. He was, he was a good player. Uh, but he had a problem, man. I, don't, I, don't, I think he grew up in a performance-based household. And when he made a mistake, one mistake, a bad pass, committed a foul, some little mistake, he would self-implode. Like, I would have to pull him out of the game and give him a minute because he would just sit there and talk to himself. Why did you do that? You're such an idiot. You, you, I, I, I mean, all the time. But I needed him to play because he was my best player. Well, I remember one time he did it, and I had tried everything, right? And I, and I pulled him out. He, he had turned the ball over and made a pass and went through his little routine. So I pulled him out, and I was like, hey, man, we all make mistakes. Everybody on that court makes mistakes. Why is it when you make a mistake, you can't let it go? And, and, I, and I gave him the speech, but it, it just wasn't getting through to him. Like, listen, I need you to put that behind you and, and focus on what's ahead of you. You can't change that. But it, it just it never resonated with him, so I didn't know what to do. So here's what I did. I'm talking to him, and the game's going on behind me, and he's not getting it. So I just turn around while the game is just going on, and I just walk right out to the middle of the basketball court. If you don't know anything about basketball, you're out of the coach's box. That's a technical foul. Automatic. You, you can't do that. And so I walk out, and the ref is like, boop, technical foul. And uh, I go up to the ref real quick after and say, hey, thank you. Um, I wasn't coming out to be disrespectful. I needed you to give me this technical. So then I went back to him, and I said, well, I made a mistake. I walked out on the court, I got a technical foul, now they get you know, two shots and they get the ball back. So I'll tell you what, I, I, I'm going to go on into the locker room. I quit. He said, you can't do that, you're the, you're, you're the coach. You made a mistake. I said, exactly, you're willing to forgive me for my mistake. When are you going to forgive yourself for the mistakes that you make? And it was like a light went off in this kid's head. He had the best game that he had all season. Uh, and he just continued to get better and better and more and more competent. He walked out onto the court with a purpose. This fruit of the Spirit is calling us to victory over the flesh. God knew before you were born how much you would mess up. And he still sent Jesus to die for you anyway. And I don't feel like Jesus 
died on a cross for us to live a defeated life. I believe he came to give us victory. That's how the song goes, victory in Jesus. So let me just pause. I'm, I'm, I'm about done. Now I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the preaching world and I'm going to meddle in your life for a minute and say this. I, I, I'm confident I'm not the only one that has these issues, right? Self-image, self-criticism, right? Some of you have depression, anxiety, all, all those issues, right? It used to be, you know, 20 years ago, you didn't talk about that in church, right? No, you didn't talk about that. What, what, you, what, what were you told? Well, if you're depressed or, you're, or, you're, or you have anxiety or you have some, some kind of mental disorder where you're so hard on yourself, you just need to have more faith. You just don't have enough faith. If you had more faith, you'd never get sad. If you had more faith, you'd never have a panic attack. If you had more faith, you... I'm 20 years of living proof that that's not true. You can have all the faith in the world and still get sad. You can have all the faith in the world and still have anxiety. You can have all the faith in the world and still be depressed. And so if you're in that arena where you can't forgive yourself, and a lot of times, like, so the voices in your head, they're your voices, but they're echoes of voices from long ago. Right, So if you live in a performance-based household and, and your dad only gave you praise when you hit a home run or scored a touchdown and then you go into the work field and you do this big project for your boss and he's like, all right, thanks, and he doesn't give you praise, that voice from way back in that came out of your dad's mouth into your mouth says, see, I told you, you're no good. That if, if that is you, if you're struggling with this, and I say this in love, man, get some help. There is nothing weak about receiving counsel. If a person struggles with depression or anxiety or any other mental illness or disorder, it doesn't mean that they lack faith. It doesn't mean that they're weak. It means they need help and Jesus can help. So get help. I, I would highly recommend everybody in here go to counseling. I go to counseling. I'm not crazy. At least my counselor says I'm not, right? <laughs> Have a prayer partner. Someone to say, you know what? I'm so hard on myself and I don't know why. Would you just pray with me? Surround yourself with godly people who are walking in step with the Spirit. You cannot live in this climate of being self-defeated. Because if we do, the fruit of the Spirit can't grow. But you, you understand that climate has everything to do with fruit and trees. That's why you'll never see an orange grove in Anchorage, Alaska. The climate's not right for orange trees. You've got to work on the climate. And so let me offer you something that might help you a little bit, real quick. Instead of looking at these as a list of nine things that I have to do in my already busy schedule and say, all right, well, I'm going to pray to have more joy today. Or I'm going to pray to be kind today because I'm going to the DMV and you know what happens there. So I hope I'm right. I, right don't, 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 don't pray that. Because here's what you're praying for. Artificial fruit. I'm going to white knuckle my way until I get out of the DMV to be kind. Don't pray for that. Pray for God to change the climate of your heart. For a climate, because guess what happens when I try to bite this? It's not very pretty. Now this, right? This is real. This is counterfeit. 
what's inside of you when you give your life to Christ is this amazing divine fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is designed to help us, excuse me, I got you, navigate through our lives. So what's the climate of your heart? Don't pray to complete a list. Pray for your heart to have the right climate. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.